Welcome to The Herd Mentality, everyone, and joining me today is self-abuse enthusiast and presidential candidate, Donald J. Trump. Hello, Adam. Thanks for coming on the show. I'm proud of you. You're doing well, I hear, huh? I couldn't be better. Do you, now, what are you doing? Are you doing a uh, podcast or something? Something like that, yeah. Start it anytime you want, and I'm proud of you, man. It's great. Cool. You, you know I'm a huge fan of yours, right? That means a lot. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing this call. So you're often accused of being ruthless to your political opponents. Is that fair to say? Man, that's what I've done all my life, Adam. You know that. So how would you evaluate Hillary Clinton's performance during this campaign? She's a great person, and she's doing really well. We're very proud of her. That's surprisingly pleasant. I'm doing this as a favor to you because you've, you've been great. I appreciate that. What about your own campaign? How would you evaluate your performance? Our infrastructure is a disaster. Accurate. So many problems, Adam. Yeah, I read the news. In its own way, Adam, it's, you know, it's, it's not just what's wrong, it's how to fix it. Before running a country, you have to get your own house in order. I get that. It's really been amazing what's going on with the presidential campaign. You see that, right? You're being flogged by the opposition. Yes. So how are those creepy-looking kids of yours? You know, my children, you know them, and they like you and respect you a lot. Uh-huh. Well, say hi for me. And I told them I was doing it. Ivanka actually heard, and she said, you, got, you have to say hello to Adam for me. So Ivanka and Eric and Don actually say hello. That's lovely. Now, your new book, Masturbating Together for a Better America, how's that been selling? I have to sign the books, and it's, it's brutal for me to sign. You know, I think we did eight or 9,000 books in one sitting last time. A big job. Chapter 8 details your research methods. How many times a night did you beat it like it owes you money? Four or five, and, uh, you know, because I enjoy what I'm doing. Clearly, no rest for the wicked, eh? We did it very quickly. You're no spring chicken at 70 years old. How did you achieve the correct blood flow without the use of Viagra? Well, it's got to be strengthened, and it's got to be... And, you know, we have technology now that's so good and so strong, and most of the places don't even have the new technology and the good technology. Was there an 8-horsepower solid gold butt plug involved? You know what? I think we have it right where we're going to want it. And then... And we had to do it very quickly, and we took a tremendous... You know, we really crammed, like I'd say in college, right? We crammed. Thanks for clarifying that for us, and and thanks for your help promoting this podcast. You know, I'm a ratings machine, Adam. Can't argue with that. Donald Trump, thanks for your time. Thanks, Adam, and keep it up. Talk to you again soon. You happy with that? Six Bs, you sound pretty good for six Bs. The abominable tangerine shit cunt as world leader. I can't... That's just too awful. Welcome to the Herd Mentality Podcast, an eclectic non-weekly mix of atheistic, humanistic and scientific conversations with complete strangers. I've never met them and they've never met me, but we're throwing caution to the wind, taking a risk with a dodgy internet connection, and God willing, entertain you with some scintillating repartee. This is a listener-supported show and you can help boost quality and quantity at HerdMentalityPodcast.com and then click on support. Your contribution makes all the difference for the show and 10% of it goes to women in developing countries. I'm your host, Questionable Adam, found on Twitter, Facebook and Google+. And it's time to meet our guests. Joining me from somewhere oriental, I've got the ever-fabulous Michael Sherlock. Welcome, sir. Hello, Adam. It's been a long time. It's been a very long time, mate. Yeah, not long enough. I mean, uh, it's great to have you back <laughs> on. Get uh, stuff. <laughs> you've been you've been busy studying and stuff. Yes, I'm nearing the end of my master's degree in studies in religion, uh-huh. which ends on January next year. So, just to differentiate, what's what's the difference between you studying religion and say a the- uh, a, a priest studying religion? Um. 
I don't abuse children. Oh, ouch. Uh, no, you, you study more than no, the, one. <laughs> the difference between, say, theology, studying a priest will go to seminary school and study the theology of their particular religion, is that they're studying it, well, number one, they're studying one particular version of one one particular religion and the theology entailed within that version of their religion. And secondly, they're studying their religion from within their religion. I'm doing a master's in studies in religion, which is from the anthropological, psychological, sociological, also a little theology as well. These different perspectives, but from a secular point of view. So the blinkers aren't necessarily on. Yeah, that's right. Correct. Now, I guess this brings us to the, the crux of the issue. What's the crux? You, you, you're throwing out this uh, GoFundMe, which I'm, I'm all for GoFundMes. I've done them before myself. We spoke about this briefly off air. The GoFundMe, what are you trying to achieve in, in this? Just the 25 words or less version. All right. The university I'm currently at, and I won't name them, refuses to approve research that I'm proposing that links some of the core doctrines and some of the peripheral doctrines of Islam to the behaviours of ISIS in recent times and to Islamic extremism in general. I've been denied by every single supervisor and the reasons given for uh, rejecting the proposal have obviously come from a place of um, it's going to be seen as Islamophobia. Uh, which is a term I, I'm, I object to. I don't like the word Islamophobia because I think it's a very confused term. Mm-hmm. But in my research in that area has been shut down. And once this Master's in Studies in Religion finishes, which is in January, as I said, I'll begin research on my own steam into this area. And when I research something, I... I really research it. So I'll I'll be buying tons of books. I'll be enrolling in Arabic courses. I'll be attending conferences and debates. And so the GoFundMe is to help me achieve that goal and hopefully bring a little bit more balance into this discourse over Islam and Islamic ex- extremism. Because when you look at the conclusions arrived at by scholars of Islam in the West, they all cherry-pick from islamic scholarship in from the muslim world that is they're painting a particular picture of islam a very politically correct picture and i want to add a little balance to that picture because it's a very selectively contrived picture and it's done so for political correctness and i think other political pressures as well you know people don't want to be seen as an islamophobe or anything like that and i really don't care as I always establish in my work as well, there is a distinction between being an anti-Muslim bigot, which I deplore, and being someone who is objectively critical of some of the obviously problematic doctrines of Islam. But um, to let considerations of political correctness seep into what should be objective scholarship is where I have a big problem. And the discourse is being guided by scholars who are pressured by these forces. And we're getting a very skewed picture in the West of Islam. And at the moment, it's so polarised between Pauline Hansen and Trump on one side and such scholars as I was talking about and people like Shane Rattenbury from the Greens who 
uh, he's a regressive leftist, in my opinion. I mean, I like a lot of his views, but when it comes to Islam, I think he's a regressive leftist. And so we need to add some more balance to this discourse. And that's what my goal is as well. Okay, so that that is the longest 25 words or less version <laughs> I, I think I've ever, ever heard. Now, I'm kind of... And allow me to... Uh, expound upon this the I'm, I'm kind of a two minds of this sort of thing i mean i've done fundraisers on this show previously and here's the catch right so if if you are seeking to link islamic terrorism and mm. islam this is mm. something that to the layman is not rocket surgery. It, sh- it should be relatively straightforward. You know, we, we see something in the paper whereby somebody goes, it may be a thwarted terrorist attack, for example. They've got all the, the bombs, guns, weapons, whatever they need to do in order to uh, undertake said mission. And they come out of it saying, you know, I'm doing this in the name of Islam. Now, when that's reported in the media... There's, there's two ways you can report it. You can it's a bit like the Brock Turner thing with the, the rapist. You know, it's, a, it's a swimmer. You know, the swimmer has been pulled up on rape charges. But oh. then if you were to look at it from another angle, you can say rapist is pulled up on rape charges. Yeah. Uh, this is much the same in that it's uh, Islamist in the name of Islam is, is attempting to murder, rape, pillage, do whatever. And there's that media slant there and uh, many media sources are unprepared to actually say you know they're doing this in the name of islam even when the person undertaking the action is saying i'm doing this in the name of islam Mm. right so that that shouldn't be a difficult connection to make and yet we're being very extraordinarily politically correct as you as you mentioned earlier now the on the other hand if you set out to link two things together, you can find a link. It doesn't matter. So, well, let, let me picture something completely ludicrous. Yourlogicalfallacyis.com, where he says, you know, global warming's on the rise, global piracy is on the rise, therefore global mm. piracy is it can be linked to global warming. Uh, so you set out... To link two things together, if you look hard enough, you will find those links. Is the, I think is the, the point the point you're getting at is that correlation doesn't necessarily imply causation. In a roundabout that, way, yes, yeah, yeah. Now, what's to stop this? Okay, you're you're heading for a goal of ten thousand dollars. You're ten percent of the way there. I, my gut feel is that you're on the right path because you you and I have had a, a long history doing damage together yes like my gut feel is, is you're on the right path but what's to stop uh, what's what's to say that your intuition is incorrect and you know is this going to be subject to peer review for example the work that you produce my goal is to eventually get it there but to do that i'm being denied the avenues within academia at the moment to achieve that. So if I can make enough noise and do, I mean, credible noise, not just noise like, uh, what's his name, Glenn Beck and all these anti-Muslim bigots. If I can make enough credible noise um, to be taken seriously in this area, then that is my my ultimate goal is to be accepted into academia and to, to make it safe for academia to start entertaining this proposition which is, as you said, it's obvious to most people, 
but the media will edit it and um, report it in a slanted way. As I mentioned, the scholars will try and distance the religion of Islam, and they use a number of different fallacies, the no true Muslim fallacy and all these other fallacies <laughs> so to try a, and separate. That's a new and, one. Yeah, it, it, and they are logical fallacies, and yeah. they're, they're done, I mean, I'm of two minds as well. Part of me understands why people like Obama and all that won't name it, won't name it because they have large Muslim demographics or relative, not large, but they have relatively sizable Muslim demographics within their nations. And to come out and say, well, Islam is caught directly causing this violence is probably going to result in a lot more anti-Muslim bigotry within the nation itself. So I do understand the, the type of position that politicians like Obama are in. However, having said that, number one, you're avoiding speaking what is obviously true. And and it's obviously true. It's not a fa it's not a, a correlation issue. It's a causation issue. If you look at the conduct of ISIS, for example, and you compare it to the Sirah of Muhammad, that is the biography of Muhammad, and and to many chapters in the Quran, the the ISIS are very popular for using whole chapters to support um, so their sex slavery, for example. You can see that ISIS are the living embodiment of that first century of Islam. You can't say that ISIS are un-Islamic when they represent Islam in its earliest stages. Mm -hmm. But but here's where the apologist jumps in and says, "Well, look, that's the, it's rooted in a historical context, and what they're doing is they're taking it out of that historical context." But here's the thing: the Quran is not a history book. It doesn't present itself as a history book. It poses as the all-knowing, always applicable word of an all-knowing God. That is, it's a religious book with guidelines that establish conduct for today, 2016. That is how it presents itself. What we find in that book are morals and values and teachings that belong in the 7th century and not even there. <laughs> uh, for example, if you compare, let's go further back in history and compare, say, uh, Plato or uh, Socrates' philosophies of justice compared to the Quran's philosophy of justice, you'll see that Socrates had a much more enlightened view of justice. It wasn't if people, uh, if people wrong you, then you should wrong them back. You know, it's elevate them. It's teach them by example to be better. And another problem with Islam is, like as with Christianity and the other monotheistic religions, is that it's exclusivist and expansionist at the same time, which makes it very dangerous. It's my way or the highway, and this attitude is spreading, and it needs to be addressed in a more honest fashion. So I'm on board with all of that. I mean, I guess my question is, with $10,000, where's that money going to go? That's a good question. It's predominantly going to go to books because they're the books I need I can't get from my university and I can't download. They're extremely expensive books. It'll go to attending conferences and debates to further my knowledge to, to get in the network with the scholars that I need to get in the network with. It's an expensive business. It's going to be more than $10,000, but I just felt a little um, bad asking for more. So I thought, well, $10,000 will help me significantly. And also with my time as well, I'm going to need to spend a hell of a lot of time researching. And so, yeah. Yeah, re well. re research isn't 
free. It's a bit like producing it's podcasts. An expen- it is an expensive business, so, and I'm not the richest guy in the world. <laughs> You're an Australian. We live in the third world, except for you, who <laughs> <laughs> scooted off uh, greener pastures in Japan. But um, would you be consulting, say, uh, an expert scholar in this field, Reza Aslan? <laughs> Why is that funny? Uh, firstly, he's not a scholar of hey, Islam. No, no, no. You've only got to ask him. It's a bit like Trump. <laughs> Are yeah. you really good at what you do? And Trump will tell you yes. And the same deal for Reza. No, he's got credentials in, in I believe it's sociology or, or something like that. But no, it's not Islam. And, and that's quite evident in the statements he makes. I didn't yeah, mean to no. derail the conversation to there. A simple no would have sufficed. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mickey Shea. Can I call you Mickey Shea? You can. Yep. Based on your past examples of what you can do on very little dollars... And you've done quite a lot. You know, you're, you're very active in uh, human rights, for example. You've been very mm. vocal and made a lot of noise about Rafe Badawi and so forth. I think the quality of your work, you managed to knock out quite a few books over this period of time as well. With this sort of support, do you think this would make a difference? Do you think that the quality of work you'd be able to produce would then go on to influence what is being... Uh, reported in the media, for example. So, when it, would it would it slant the bias back towards reality? Uh, Single handedly, um, that's a tall order. But the more voices that are articulated in a manner that is expressing opinions that are extremely and highly informed in this area are desperately needed in this discourse. Mm. And I want to add to that area. Mm. I'm an extremely zealous researcher and that, that's what I live and breathe more than writing I prefer research over writing I enjoy writing but I crave research and so with the funds what that does is it gives me the means to thoroughly research Islam in a manner that I've yet to do I've read the Quran numerous times in numerous different translations. I've read the Sahih Muslim, the Sahih al-Bukhari, al-Tabari. I've read um, much of the Sirah of Muhammad and the Sunnah of Muhammad in the Hadiths. Just, uh, Ishaq just, just and, be careful with all those words because um, the FBI, the CIA, ASIO, all these, <laughs> these guys listen to this show. <laughs> yeah, and as well, I've read Cambridge scholars on Islam and, and some are quite progressive on Islam. So I, I think there is... There is a shift coming, and it's the same sort of shift we're seeing in scholarship on Christianity. That is, now Christian scholarship is moving out of Christian hands and into secular and atheist hands. We're getting much more objective, I mean, consensuses in scholarship with regards to questions like, well, how solid is the historicity of Jesus Christ? We used to say 100%. That was when the scholarship was fully within uh, the Christian um, research group. Yeah, <laughs> think tank. But now that it's moving out of there, the scholarly consensus is starting to shift with it. Mm. So and we're getting more objective, and that's what I want with Islam as well. Because right now, Western Islamic scholarship are either regressive leftists or they're Muslim. We don't have a very good selection of um, scholarship at the moment, in my opinion. So you're heading to be the first. Perhaps not the first, but I, I want to 
play a big role in the the tide change that needs to come in that area. And also, having said what I said, the the scholars of Islam, I mean, are very capable that we have at the moment. They're extremely capable. The problem is the foregone conclusions and the the, the pre-established beliefs that are affecting how they arrive at their conclusions with regards to these kinds of questions, Islamic extremism, etc. That's where the problem lies. So, a couple of quick ones. Will your work be subject to peer review? I hope to eventually get it there. Cool. And how can we get about supporting said venture? Well, you can go to my GoFundMe page. Uh, It's got a complicated link. I sent you the link in the thing maybe you can shoot that out yeah, to but your I'm listeners. Not paid very much to you know read the link thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can do it. Hang on. Just head to gofundme.com slash two Sierra Echo Beta Gamma nine double four and you'll find Michael's work there ready to throw him a couple of bucks and make some action happen because uh, you know what? Your angle of Discussion, your discourse, uh, I like it. You, you, every sentence, every time you engage, every time you open your mouth, whenever you come on the show, you very clearly make the distinction. I'm not against Muslims. I'm against Islam and silly thinking. And uh, there's, there's quite a few other personalities out there who simply don't make that. It, it's not very clear. But then these other, these other personalities, they also don't have the research background you do. They don't, they, you know, they're not published. They, they, they don't dedicate themselves to the cause, uh, perhaps with such vigor as you do. So I think by achieving that goal, I reckon you could work a small miracle and maybe get a little, uh, a little bit of a tidal wave happening in the right direction. So I, I would encourage listeners to get out there and support it. And uh, Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show, especially at short notice, especially in addition, given that I've just had about six beers and you've had, what, one cup of green tea? Yeah, nothing yet. So, um, yeah, I really appreciate you having me on and staying conscious through the whole thing. That was really well done. (laughs) I was asleep for most of it. Michael, thank you very much for coming on. (laughs) All right. Thanks for having me, Adam. And joining me once again, it's been a long time and he's been out fighting crime. We have Dr. Dave Hawkes. How are you, sir? I'm good, thanks, Adam. It's good to know that you're still alive. Just pause here for a moment while I insert the sting. Engage Dr. Dave Hawks. Wasn't that nice? It's been a while since we've heard yeah. that. Yeah, so, um, i got to set my counter back to zero days since I've heard that monstrosity. <laughs> yeah, so how are you? I'm well, I'm well. Now, you've been a busy little bee. What's been published and then unpublished of late? One of the things that is, I've fallen into in the last probably two years is keeping an eye on where incredibly anti-vax articles are being published in peer-reviewed journals. So there was an article published in, I believe it was January this year, in the journal Vaccine, which is quite a good journal. It's obviously relevant to vaccinations called Behavioural Abnormalities in Young Female Mice Following Administration of Aluminium Adjuvants and the Human Papillomavirus Vaccine Gardasil. So that was published at the beginning of this year, and about four weeks later, it was withdrawn. And the reason was, and I'm quoting directly from PubMed here, this article has been withdrawn at the request of the editor-in-chief due to serious concerns regarding the scientific soundness of the article. Review by the editor-in-chief and evaluation by outside experts confirmed that the mythology is seriously flawed and the claims of the article makes are unjustified. 
that's pretty damning. Oh, um, and so it's music to my ears. Yeah, and it features some of my favourite um, anti-vax authors. So there's Tamilovich and Chris Shaw, who are both from the University of British Columbia in Canada, and who we've actually got the figures in since 2011, have received $1.8 million in funding from anti-vax organisations. Oh, wow. That's a lot of money. $1.8 million. That's a hell of a lot of money. But where are these guys getting this sort of money? Uh, The primary group's a group called the Dwoskin Family Foundation, who have been responsible. There was actually an expose by CNN in the U.S., on all the different things they had sponsored, which were all anti-vax, including at a recent autoimmunity conference in Leipzig, Germany, they sponsored a session on vaccines causing autoimmune diseases, and it was chaired by Claire Dwoskin, who has no medical or scientific qualifications. <laughs> right. And all of all the speakers were invited by a very eminent Israeli medical professor called Yehuda Schoenfeld, who happens to also be the final author on this paper. So that was great. Um, Um, Less great, but no less interesting, was about a month ago, six weeks ago, an article, and forgive me for repeating all this again, called Behavioural Abnormalities in Female Mice Following Administration of Aluminium Adjuvants and the Human Papillomavirus Vaccine Gardasil, with all the same authors. So there's a slight difference in the titles, but it's the same article. It's been published in a journal called Immunologic Research. Right, that... that, I've not heard of that one. Is that... uh, It sounds a a little bit... journal? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a decent journal. Um, it's it's been around for quite a while. It's got a good impact factor. It's it's not spectacular, but it's good. It's relevant. So I, I can't be sure, but I have a suspicion of why this you know revamped, slightly revamped paper has been published in that particular journal. Now, if you remember, I just mentioned that the lead author of the paper that was withdrawn was Yehuda Schoenfeld. Uh, he again is the senior author on this paper. It's a hard name to forget. It is a hard name to forget, and it's very easy to search for. He also happens to be the editor responsible for the section of the journal Immunologic Research that this paper was published in. Right. Okay, so it's come full circle. It's, it's certainly come full circle, and it is confusing now. There's, the paper is, in itself, there's a couple of minor changes, including where they seem to present exactly the same data but somehow come to different statistical <laughs> conclusions. Right. And do they have Robert De Niro as a consultant? I think they've probably more likely got some people from Goldman Sachs as consultants for uh, how they've actually massaged some of this data from the looks of it. Again, I'm looking at the papers. I can't, you know, I've superimposed one graph on top of the other and it looks identical. But, you know, I can't definitively say because I haven't seen the raw data, but it's suspicious to say the least. So that's, that's been quite amusing. And there was some very amusing press, places like the Washington Post on this particular withdrawn article because Tomelovich and Shaw have had a couple of papers actually withdrawn. And uh, for those keeping score, Tomelovich's last appearance uh, in Australia was by phone for the No Jab, No Pay uh, Senate inquiry. Ah, yes. Now, just a, a brief recap on exactly what that is, Dave. So No Jab, No Pay is a law that's been introduced to Australia from January the 1st, 2016, which says that if your child is not up to date with their vaccinations, they don't qualify for certain financial benefits from the government, including the childcare benefit and there's a family tax A or B. There's a few others. It adds up to a significant amount of money. I've forgotten exactly the details. I will say as a conflict of interest, I was also an expert witness in that Senate inquiry. I came to a different conclusion than Tamelovich. <laughs> But she was representing our old friends, the Australian Vaccination Skeptics Network. Ah, yes, the AVSN. Is that their name this week? Yeah. 
It is their name this week, although they're saying they're running a, uh, a meeting sometime in the next couple of weeks where they're considering a name change. So I don't know what that will be. I'm hoping it's One Direction. Um, <laughs> so what's fascinating is I think the last financial records, they went at their peak, they were bringing in $344,000 a year. And the last records we have, it was $21,000. However, since the... No jab, no pay. They've launched these big appeals and trying to scare people. And they've bravely saying that they have raised nearly $150,000 towards a legal challenge. I think their exact words, uh, fundraising has slowed down quite a bit, but we are so close to that $150,000 mark. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this started on the 1st of January. It's now the, just after the 1st of September, so at least eight months. They've raised $150,000. They've apparently got solicitors. They've apparently got barristers and silks. I'm not sure exactly if they're trying to talk about Queen's counsels or they're unclear and their legal terminology is as high quality as their scientific. Um, (laughs) But they're saying they're going to put together some sort of legal appeal on exactly what grounds I don't know because you can still avoid vaccination. You You just have to have a good reason for it. Well, you just need to have a medical reason or you can still not get vaccinated, but you just don't collect the money you get for being vaccinated. Hmm. So they're after the best of both worlds. They are at the best of both worlds. But strangely enough, um, I believe the ex-president whose account all this money is going into, Meryl Dory, is heading off on another trip. I'm not sure why. And the current president, Tasha David, has gone to an anti-vax conference in the States this year. So they're certainly enjoying some of the perks of being associated with the AVN, exactly how that is going to come out in their financial records is unclear. But they're also saying that their lawyers don't want to be named because they're afraid of people coming after them who are pro-vaccine or anti-anti-vaccine. <laughs> that's a, I think that's a solid middle finger pointed directly at you, isn't it, Dave? Well, I like to think that, you know, most people who are barristers, uh, a lot of them and a lot of lawyers would deal with criminal cases. And obviously the be defending serial killers and you know people involved in organized crime but people who present scientific evidence are intimidating um (laughs) the facts they'll they'll get you every time Hmm. yeah so so we have unnamed solicitors and unnamed barristers or six silks with unnamed timelines with unnamed purposes with no real they've not created they've not even given an argument of why they want to repeal this law but they're still collecting money and and asking for money at every single turn. So it'll be interesting to see what happens because, I mean, we we know that of the $2.6 million the anti-vax network raised, around $800 was donated. Hey? We presented this data at the uh, National Immunisation Conferences uh, in 2014 and uh, an updated version in 2016, and the anti-vaxxers have raised $2.6 million, the AVN, since 1994. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I think it's actually since 1998 that we've got the financial records, which they published on their website. There's nothing untoward. They're actually published on the AVN's website. Mm -hmm. $2.6 million, and I believe they have donated $800. They've spent $200,000 on computers. Oh, yes. Um, You spoke about that previously on the show. The money seems to go into a black hole, and no one ever really knows where it goes or what it does, because that $200,000 on computers doesn't include, you know, internet. It doesn't include website. It doesn't include any of those things. So they've got another 15 minutes in the sun. Thankfully, they haven't been getting very much uh, media attention. And um, there was a, a post presented at the immunization conference in June by Tracy McDermott, which was senior authored by uh, Rachel Dunlop, talking about false balance. And, you know, we don't do false balance, I believe, was the title, which talked about how when people came to discussing vaccination in the Australian media, they had approach of, 
I'm not going to debate an anti-vaxxer because there is no scientific debate. Hmm. And so that's been incredibly successful. Oh, good. When we finally see some of the fruits of their labours turn up, no doubt you'll be called as an expert witness to the stand once again. And I look forward to hearing how all that pans out because I have a sneaking suspicion it'll be favourable towards you. The ABN side, people who disagree with this particular law, which is their right, are being convinced to give money to something that has very little likelihood of not only A, succeeding, but B, actually even eventuating. And so people who are likely to be lacking, you know, they, they won't have these benefits because they've chosen not to vaccinate, which is a conscious decision they've made. But then sort of economic injury has been added by then donating, you know, however much it is to these people that will actually not do anything with it other than possibly, and again, I, I'm don't know where the money will be going, but possibly just feathering their own nests. Mm. Well, I look forward to seeing their next lot of financial papers once they're uh, broadcast. Well, they, they should be due in a couple of months. We'll get you back on then. Thank you very much, Dave Hawkes. No, thanks for having me, Adam. And joining me on the line from somewhere in the desert, I've got Matthew the Apostle. Welcome, sir. Well, thank you very much for having me on board, brother. And you can be found on Twitter at Crime for God. And That's you, correct. And, you, and we have a, a bit of a Facebook presence under the, the uh, show In the Name of God, the podcast. Ah, the podcast. Now, tell me about this podcast thing of yours. The story begins way back when. No, actually, about two years ago, um, I was a guest on Penn Jillette's podcast, uh, Sunday School, and uh, then caught a quick uh, presentation up in Reno, Nevada. I drove from Vegas up to Reno for Dan Barker from the FFRF, and uh, I've been a Freedom From Religion Foundation member for quite a while, and uh, so it's just kind of neat because both these guys are doing podcasts, and I realized something that you're well aware of, it uh, doesn't really take any skill to do this, and I figured that was right <laughs> up my alley, man. So so you jumped into so it head first. I did, I did. I I went out and I bought myself, uh, I don't know, maybe a $100 microphone or something like that when Radio Shack was still in business and, and just jumped right into it. And uh, it was really neat because getting kind of back to the FFRF a little bit, they put out a weekly – or a correction, a, a monthly newspaper that has a section called Black Collar Crime. And it usually runs three or four pages minimum identifying you know all the hypocrisy and the bullshit that the religious are, have behaved in or, or conducted. And what's neat about it, I'm not just talking about you know the priest banging the choir boy. We, we know about that. We expect that. Hell, they teach that you know when they go to preschool. But it happens all the time. And I just started tracking this. It's a good thing that I have pretty much no morals because I would be seriously, seriously angry at all these guys. Instead – they write the stories for me, so I don't have to. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I, I really enjoy your podcast. I look forward to it because you have this very relaxed approach. Read a news <laughs> article, laugh about the uh, the silliness. And I like how you use the term priest school because that sounds so close to preschool, which is <laughs> not a good thing. Uh, and then, you know, Each episode you do, you also do updates on what's happened uh, in previous episodes. So when somebody gets sentenced and so forth. Yeah, and, and what's interesting about that is we, one would think that I have a really good uh, filing system to keep track of these things, but it, that's absolutely not the case. I'm fundamentally lazy. And uh, I'll be reading a newspaper article for the show, and I'll be three-quarters of the way through it, and I'm like, fuck me. I've done this one before. Oh, no way. It's an update of one that I did last year. So I just go back and, and track it down, and, and 
it's amazing how long these things take to actually, I don't even want to say be settled, but to have some sort of a, a finish line. I mean, the, the court system is horribly, horribly long. But what's even more fascinating, I think last week we did one, or maybe I did, I, I don't even remember, sometime in the last couple of episodes, where the update itself was the same motherfucker getting arrested again. Oh, oh that was the one, uh, you know what it was? It was it was the uh, the pastor in the UK. We had, we had talked about that before. He was raping a couple of people in his church. They arrested him. It went to court, and he got like 250 hours community service and then went back to being the pastor and continuing raping people in the church. He's, in, he's being tried for it again a second time right now. Mm, not learning from their mistakes, clearly. <laughs> They're not. <laughs> I would have to say the things that I enjoy the most about doing the show, um, I get some amazing feedback from our disciples, from our listeners, and that's a lot of fun. But the thing I really enjoy about it is when you start down one story, uh, and this happens primarily with the Catholic Church, you, you find out that everything is connected. A financial mismanagement in Milwaukee ties into – um, a real estate deal that the Catholic Church is doing in Manhattan. I mean, it's just fascinating when you put this whole web together to realize what a bunch of conniving motherfuckers these people are. <laughs> or actually, I guess, children fuckers. But. And you are the guy for the job. You And there's all these different segments that you do. Now, let me think. I'm going to impress you with my memory here. Uh, strip Mall Church of the Week. I love doing the Strip Mall Church of the Week. A quick summary on that for the people who have not listened to my show, and of course you should all be scolded for not listening to it. But the Strip Mall Church of the Week is fun because I am a little bit of a history nerd, which is an understatement, and it gives me the opportunity to read up a little bit of the history of wherever this particular church is. And uh, as you know, Mr. Reeks, the, uh, the best part is, is that I try and highlight how far away this church is from the nearest adult entertainment establishment. And I do that because I want everybody to realize that not only are they hypocrites, but they're lying motherfuckers, too, because sometimes these churches literally are right next to the titty bar. <laughs> they don't care about it because they're not paying taxes, so oh, they can't complain. Yeah, right? one and the same. Uh, if there was you, – you've recently begun doing another segment on the show, which yeah. is reading Yelp reviews about churches so people get to go online. <laughs> A bit like leaving well, a review for a product you've bought on eBay or, or a place you've stayed at at an Airbnb. Some exactly. People, it, <laughs> get very, very angry the, about their church. Who the, who the fuck would ever leave a Yelp review for a church? What are you going to say? I was really jesus well there? I mean, come <laughs> on. And then, you, and then you start reading it and you're like, the people who leave one-star reviews are the best. They're, I mean, they're staying one inch away from calling everybody in the church a cocksucker. It's fantastic. <laughs> to have gone to the effort of going to leave a review about a church, particularly a one-star review, you've got to be really, really annoyed about this particular church. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and then my favorite ones are the ones that they sit there and they say, well, there's not enough Jesus in it, or they're not godly enough, or they're not this. Some of them are very and, banal. And the people behind me are playing cards or something. You're like, come on, it's church. There's one on what a recent, is he going to fucking do? On a recent episode where somebody went to a new church, they just moved to town or whatever the case was, and they went to this new church on some recommendation. Then the reason they left a one-star review was because the person, uh, the, the couple sitting behind them were talking about eating shrimp for dinner. And, exactly. And that's what really turned him off, that particular church. You know, they weren't in a godly enough mood. <laughs> and, that one, and that one in particular also because they were playing Bon Jovi music at the beginning. Yes, that's and right. And that was not worshipy enough apparently. No. Very unhappy. And, uh, 
And, and I would personally look at listening to Bon Jovi as playing Penance anyway, right? You know, it's like I would say 14 Hail Marys and listen to one Bon Jovi album. <laughs> what punishment. <laughs> but it, it is fun. And, and something in this, you'll probably edit this out because this is me saying nice things about you. Um, two years ago when I started this podcast, that's just over two years, uh, I guess now, about 26 months or so. I think I had maybe one or two episodes done and you reached out to me and you're like, hey, dude, I like what you're doing, but you should do it like this and this and this and just add the little bumpers before and after your stories. It'll give it a nice, clean, crisp break before you get to the next one. And that kind of stuff made all the difference in the world and it made it very much easier to do it. And having your support from the beginning is something that I really do hold dear. Oh, well, that's very kind of you to say. Thank you. I'll send you a check or something. Wipe that tear off. Yeah, wipe that tear <laughs> off your cheek, your cheek there. <laughs> no, I have enjoyed your podcast for a very long time. It is very entertaining. And it's a, it's a one-man show. It, it really, it's just you sitting there with your own thoughts and musings. And I've, I find it very entertaining. So everyone, go and check it out in the name of God, the podcast. And it's only taken, what, 26 months to get you on the show. Because well, as we I don't want to rush these things, you know. <laughs> nothing happens <laughs> well, quickly. Here at the Herd Mentality but, uh, Recording Dungeon. Yeah, and, and I got to tell you, and again, you know, just to kind of finalize what I was saying about you, you've been a very uh, positive influence on a lot of us that are doing podcasts. I have some other friends that I've met face to face who have said that you've done similar things for them. So, I mean, you are a rock star in our mind, uh, and I'm really, really glad to consider you a friend, and I'm glad oh. that we have you on board to our uh, fuck the world movement. <laughs> well. Listeners, you're going to hear a little bit more from Matthew the Apostle slash Donald Trump coming up and coming out. As it, mm, no, <laughs> not, oh, I'm quite, sorry. <laughs> not quite an accurate. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe so. <laughs> Matthew, thank you very much for coming on the herd mentality, and I keep doing what you're doing. I think you're doing a great job. Thank you very much, sir, and I will be in touch as well. The Adventures of Ray and Raylene. Right, so this is the bit that would normally contain me and Raylene doing brilliant things to make more money for living waters. Short story, yes there's a new Raygate sketch, no it's not clever and it's not funny and it's not included on the show. Raylene and I needed Donald Trump's assistance to build a wall around living waters, but at the same time I also got horrible diarrhoea after eating some dodgy Mexican food. The problem is that by the time the diarrhoea sound effects were added in, it was so vomit-inducing that it couldn't be included in the show. It's edited, including all the outtakes, but at the last minute it was decided to be Patreon-only content. It is truly disgusting. Patreon supporters, new and old, of that stupid herd mentality podcast already have access to that file. Just log into your account and be horrified or glorified because after all, we're doing God's work. So, new Patreon supporters who would have access to such disgraceful content include Victor Meyer, Debbie, Ida and Harry Lizard, who have pledged to support the show at patreon.com slash herdmentality. Whoever chooses to give this podcast money is a complete idiot. Special abusive thoughts and prayers to Grayson and Frankie, who donated sizable sums via PayPal at herdmentalitypodcast.com. You're idiots too, and I hope that everyone who gives the show money dies horribly in a freak skiing accident. End your mothers, end your mothers' mothers. As you are well aware now, 
10% of the proceeds of the show go to helping women in developing countries to further their education via Kiva.org. We have Sandy in Palestine, Anahit in Armenia, Nezreen in Lebanon, Mona, who's also in Lebanon, Azuriak in Armenia, and Giovanna in Peru. And this makes me very, very angry. Raylene's not allowed to be educated, so why should these people? Anyway, that's all I've got to say. Now go away. So I haven't scripted anything for this, and I just wanted to make a little note to say thank you to James. So we did the fundraiser for James episode, what was it, 101, 100, thereabouts, and James is doing all right. He's had it, quite a few ups and downs. He's basically run out of cash from what I understand, and I'm happy to send him some more if, James, you're listening, and I know you do. You've just got to ask. Just get a PayPal. I can get some money to you. Something that I wanted to mention and just ad-lib about was that James sent me a little present in the post, which was an engraved medal. Uh, This is a little bit (laughs) Trump-esque in in the sense that uh, somebody else worked for those medals it's one of the little pin things that go on the hat. It, he engraved a lovely message on it. Something about heroes. Um, it was lovely and unnecessary. So, James, just keep fighting the good fight. I hope you're doing all right, buddy. Take care. <laughs>